This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. See, too often we find it so easy to talk about sports or politics or the weather. But you know what? If God is not real in your heart, it becomes very difficult for you to speak about the things of God. You might say, well, that's okay. I'm just a silent witness. Well, you tell that to those who were tortured, who were burned at the stake, who were imprisoned, whose families were destroyed because of the profession of the gospel in their lives. We now continue our gold mine tour of the book of Romans. The next gold nugget we'll be examining is the Roman road. This is a guided tour through scriptures that point out our need for salvation. It highlights how we all fall short of the glory of God, how God demonstrated His love for us and the gift He gave and the price He paid, and tells how we can be saved. We also see that true repentance leads to a life filled with fruit, reminding us that being a silent witness won't lead others to Christ. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for the conclusion of our message entitled, The Gold Mine. John Wesley and his brother Charles Wesley and George Whitfield were responsible for what's called the Great Awakening, both in Europe as well as in the United States in the mid-1700s. A great sweeping of the Spirit of God through communities and through counties and through literally nations, to where within many of these cities and towns, bars were closing down because people were getting born again and on fire for the things of God. Houses of ill repute were shut down because men no longer went to them because their hearts were changed. Men started coming home from work and spending time with family and getting to know their children because the Spirit of God was changing them. Within communities, hospitals and schools were begun because of the importance that people understood of caring and taking care for one another. All of these things were a part of the Great Awakening. But it's interesting, in John Wesley's life, John Wesley says that I was a religious man for many years. But it wasn't until I was at a meeting, we were beginning to study Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And before we got into the actual commentary on the book of Romans, the man who was leading the study read just the preface to that commentary. And the words that Martin Luther had written just in the preference, preface of it, he said, burn so hotly within my heart. I knew that the faith that I had was not the same faith that Martin Luther was speaking about. And he, John Wesley, speaks about the fact that it was at that point that his life really and truly changed and brought about that burning in his life, that that divine uh, call in his life to come together with his brother Charles and with George Whitfield and begin what was called the Great Awakening that changed not only Europe but the United States forever. It changed them forever. Now, they've slipped back. Europe did, and so did we. Through the times, there have been other great awakenings. I believe that it's time for another great awakening. But it's not going to be something that we're going to be able to do judicially. It's not going to be something that we're going to be able to do through even passing of laws. 
It's going to have to be done in the same way that the Great Awakening was taking place at that time, that men and women who are serious about their faith and their walk in Christ would come and pray and pray and pray. And that's when hearts began to be changed. Groups of prayer that would come in that began with five men became 15 men became 50 people, became 500 people as they would come on a regular basis to just pray for the very Spirit of God to work in their hearts and their lives. And the more their lives got changed, the more the outflow of that started affecting the community. All of that we see because of the faithfulness of Paul to write instruction and correction to the church in Rome and how the Spirit of God took those things. Throughout this mine that we will be traveling here in the book of Romans, there's a particular trail that we can follow, and it's called the Roman Road. And for some of you, it might be a very familiar place to be at. Perhaps you've heard of the Roman Road, and the Roman Road is simply a set of scriptures, about five scriptures throughout the book of Romans, very simple in describing, again, the declaration of how to be born again, the plan of salvation. And I want to encourage you to join with me real quick as we just take a real quick tour through the Roman road. If you turn to Romans chapter 1, right at the beginning of it, right on the front page of Romans, right up at the top, write 323. 3,23. Just like it's written there. Just 323. You don't need the Romans because you're already in Romans. You don't need the all have sinned. You'll figure that out. Just write 323. So that when you get a chance to share with someone about the plan of salvation, all you have to do is flip over to Romans. And while you're talking with them, you say, look at these verses. And then you go over to chapter 3, verse 23. Now turn to chapter 3, verse 23, and listen to what it speaks here. In the basis and in the surrounding of this entire gold mine, here's one of those little nuggets. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul writes, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, God's glory. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's an interesting verse when you think about it. If you dig into the Greek of it, as Paul was writing, and you look at that word all, it's kind of interesting what that word actually means. you have any clue of what the word all means in Greek? It means all. It means everybody. You know what that means? That means that your dear Aunt Susie, who is so gracious and so wonderful and such a blessing in your family, but yet she doesn't go to church anywhere. She has no relationship with Christ. As sweet and as precious as she is, the Word of God says that she's a sinner and in need of a Savior. That means that that uncle or that friend who's done so much good in the world, who who helps out with this club and who works with this organization, who's given money and assistance here, who donates of his time and these efforts and these things, as good a work as that is, if they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, reality is, according to God's word, is they are sinners in need of a Savior. There's no getting around that. We can't soft soap that and say, well, most folks are sinners, and we can point out the ones that are sinners, but folks like you and me, we're really not, really not. Yes, we are. 
When Paul says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that means that there is a standard that God has set and that no one is able to gum up to that standard. Every one of us falls short. Oh, some are able to jump a little higher. Some are able to stay at it a little bit longer. But you know, if the chasm between one canyon wall to another canyon wall is a thousand feet, and you can jump six feet, and why, you can jump twelve feet. Oh, but you can jump eighteen feet. So what? The chasm is a thousand feet. There's only one thing that bridges that, and that's the cross of Christ. Next to 323, just off on the margin there, take and write 623, 623. And then you can turn over now to 623, but write the reference at 323. Now we go to 623. In 623, Paul writes, for the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Every one of us that that work, there's a great anticipation about, oh, once a week or once every two weeks or maybe once a month, depending upon what you do. At the end of that work week, we kind of have this anticipation, this expectation that we're going to get something. Sometimes it's in an envelope. Sometimes it's put directly into our bank. It's called wages, getting paid for what we do. And every one of us expect and understand what wages are all about if we've worked at all. And what Paul is saying here is the work that we've done, because we are all sinners, the wages for that or the payment for that is what? Death. That's eternal death. That in the process and in the context of all that he's saying is a total separation from God for all eternity. The wages of sin, and all have sinned, and the wages of that sin is death. Oh, but he doesn't leave us there. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And what a great blessing that is. And God has this gift of eternal life that he comes and offers to us. He's offered to mankind all through the years. And mankind says, oh, no, no, thanks. I've got my own way over here. I've got my own path. I've got my own direction. I have my own belief system. But he says, no, here is the gift. It doesn't cost you anything. I paid the price for it. I want to offer it to you. No thanks. I don't want it. But I'm offering it to you. Receive it in faith. You see, a gift does absolutely no good until you come and accept the gift. The gift can be offered to all mankind. But until someone comes and takes it, it, it's of no avail. It, It does no good for you. And so God has offered this gift to mankind, that if they would take it, they would receive eternal life. Next to 623 in the margin, write 5, 8, and then let's look at what Romans 5, 8 says. Romans 5, 8 tells us that God showed or God demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. And Christ died for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates 
his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, that's part of that gift. We didn't have to change. We didn't have to go and get all cleaned up beforehand. We didn't have to suddenly turn over a new leaf and say, well, maybe God will accept me now at this point. Maybe if I'm good enough, then I'll be able to receive. No, the Word of God says that God showed His great love for us, that even while we were God-haters, while we were sinners in love, God sent Christ to die for us. And what a blessed promise that is. What a great gift that is that he's giving to us, that he's offering to us. Next to 5, 8, if you would write 10, 9 and 10. Chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. See, the opportunity here is not only will you be able to go back through these verses, but you'll be able to share these with someone else. Someone else that desperately needs to know that there's hope in their life, even though they are sinners. Well, I know you're a sinner, Jack, but we're all sinners. But you know what? Even in the midst of that, we all deserve death. But God gave us a gift. He's offering us a gift. And he did it while we were still sinners. God knows that we were sinners. And he loved us so much that while we were sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. Now, what do I do with that information? Well, here in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, Paul describes, now that you have that information, you have to do something with it. And he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. That sounds so simple. And it is simple, but it's not simplistic. And the problem that most people have, and I dare say that the church today has, is that we have taken the simplicity and made it simplistic. We've made that that was easy and brought it to be of no importance. You mean all I have to do is say this little prayer and boom, I'm saved? The unfortunate thing is for many who have come to churches and have been in churches for years and years and years have heard that very thing. If you'll just simply say this prayer, God will save you. And if the basis of your salvation is on the fact that back when you were uh, in junior high school or back uh, when you were in, in grade school that you verbalized this prayer and therefore I am saved, I'm going to tell you this morning that there's only two things that I know of that give real and true assurance of salvation. There's only two. And saying a prayer back years ago is not one of them. The assurance of your salvation is based upon two things. Number one, the very promise of God. That God says that if you will call upon my name, I will hear. That whosoever calls upon my name will be saved. The promise of God. And I can hold on to that promise of God if I really and truly cried out to him. But the other thing has to come into play, too. And that second thing, folks, we cannot disregard that. And because we do disregard that, generations upon generations of church-going people have before them an eternity in hell. And that second thing is the reality of fruit in your life, that you truly are born again. Because if there is no fruit in your life, then I as a pastor am not going to give you any assurance of your salvation. 
I'm not going to take you back and say, well, didn't you pray this prayer? Did you really, really mean it in your heart? Oh, then it's all fine. Because it's not all fine. If your life hasn't been changed, if your spirit has not from the old man passed away and now, behold, all things are new, if that hasn't taken place, then, beloved, you could go and recite the Pledge of Allegiance. That doesn't make you an American. You could sing the McDonald's song, and that's not going to make you a hamburger. The seriousness of it, the reality of it, is the evidence of fruit in your life. That's why Paul says here when he says that with your heart one believes what? One believes unto righteousness. Is that working in your life? Is that really there? Is there a desire for the things of God in your life? Or are you so still filled with the world? But that's okay. I remember it was December 15th. 1975, I was at so-and-so Baptist church, or what church, or at my house in my back room, and I prayed this prayer, and I know that I'm saved because I can remember the day. I don't care if you remember the day or not. That's not important. What I want to know is what fruit is bearing in your life right now. What's the evidence of the reality of salvation in your life? If I have an apple tree, and I, was, I bought it at the store, and they said that it was an apple tree, and I went and I planted it in the ground, and it's growing, and it's looking fine on the outside, but it never produces apples. As a matter of fact, there's these little green things on it, and after a while, around this time of year, around December, actually, they start turning orange. Guess what? I don't have an apple tree. No matter what somebody told me, an apple tree is going to produce apples. A Christian is going to produce good fruit. Fruit of righteousness within their lives. They're going to show a change of life in them. And if that is not there, then there is absolutely no assurance of salvation. And the only assurance that you have is what the Word of God says, that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the resurrection. But what are you going to do when you stand before Almighty God? Say, oh, that's okay, I remember. It was December 15th, and I was, I was in the back room. What have you shown? That's why Jesus warns those that said, Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me because I never knew you. Yeah, but didn't we do all these great works in your name? But I never knew you. There's another part to this Roman road real quickly. The promise is, in verse 13, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So right below that 9 and 10, we see verse 13. The promise is available to all. Because all have sinned, the promise is available to all, that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But folks, that is not a simplistic call. It is a simple message. It simply says, if you come, you give your life to me, you believe with a heart that's going to change. You make a confession of me, as verse 10 says, and confession with mouth of confession is made unto salvation. Let me touch on that for just a moment, because in many church people's lives, what is their confession? Oh, it's easy for you and I to talk about the things of God here in this place. But what happens when we go outside this place? Is your conversation ever toward the things of God? Oh, yeah, yeah. My, I have some Christian friends over here, and sometimes we talk about the Bible. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about throughout the world, inside the world, not just where it's comfortable, but is the confession of your life, is the testimony and are the words of your life a declaration of the reality of Christ in you? You see, too often we find it so easy to talk about sports or politics or the weather. 
But you know what? If God is not real in your heart, it becomes very difficult for you to speak about the things of God. And you might say, well, that's okay. I'm just a silent witness. Well, you tell that to those who were tortured, who were burned at the stake, who were imprisoned, whose families were destroyed because of the profession of the gospel in their lives. You tell them how silent you are and how blessed God is to have you as a silent underground witness for him. When literally multitudes of thousands throughout the years have lost their lives because they dared proclaim in a verbal way their hope in Christ. I don't think it would fly. If we look back at the very introduction of Romans, and we'll end here, Paul's introduction of himself to them, there in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul could have come and said, Paul, the apostle of the Lord. Boom. But the very first thing he says is, no, Paul, a bondservant. And that word bondservant is doulos. That means, it's got a deeper meaning than just a slave. Though doulos itself means a slave, it has a much deeper meaning. It means a bond slave, a bond servant. And the bond servant was one who had been a slave, and yet in his life he had been given freedom, and now he chooses to work for that master on his own. He now chooses to remain as a slave. And in the time of that Greek society, if a slave was given his freedom, and yet he wanted to stay with his master, they would put him next to a wooden pole or or a beam, and literally drive an awl through his ear, pierce his ear, and put an earring on his ear, and that would be a demonstration or a declaration that he is the bondservant. He chooses to work for that one. Paul says, I am a bondservant of Christ Jesus. You know what a bondservant means, folks? And that's what we are called to be. Is that it's not my will, but it's my master's will. And I choose to follow my master. I choose to be led and directed by him. And that's the very thing that leads Paul in every area. We see very quickly that the motivation of Paul was the gospel. Or in verse 1, he says that he was separated to the gospel of God. Down in verse 9, it says that I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. In verse number 15, he speaks about he's ready to preach the gospel to all who are in Rome. And in verse 16, that great nugget, that great verse, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That was the motivation of Paul. For him to go into areas where he knows he's going to be stoned. For him to go into areas where he knows he's going to be in prison. For him to go into areas that he knows his very life is at stake. And yet he was willing to do it. Why? Because he was motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this, and we'll end with this. What motivates you? What motivates you? For some of you that are here today, the very thing that motivates you is your own pleasure. For some of you, you're motivated by the paycheck. Some of you are motivated by your own comfort. Some of you are motivated by the pressures of family. But you know what? You and I as believers, we must needs be motivated by the gospel. Because, beloved, we are the only declaration of the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ that many in this world will ever hear. 
some of the ones you work with, some of your family members, some of your neighbors. The only time that they'll hear the reality of the gospel is if they hear it and see it in your life. And if you and I are silent witnesses, it does absolutely no good. Absolutely no good. Paul was motivated to the point that his life was sold out to the gospel. What motivates you? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to confess with the mouth and believe? Well, Pastor David will answer these questions and more as he teaches through the book of Romans. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at The Open Word Radio, or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.